Hello and welcome to episode 238 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now this episode is going to be huge. This guest is someone I've wanted for a long time and now it's finally happened. They're one of the biggest bands on the planet right now. They've just been announced for the main stage, a download next year. And not only that, they've just come back from their biggest UK tour yet. It's been epic and their journey is over 20 years long, but they're not slowing down anytime soon. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to announce that I'm joined by Winston McCall from the absolutely epic band Parkway Drive. Honestly, Winston is amazing from start to finish. So open, so honest, and the best thing about this interview, it's over an hour long. These really long, detailed interviews are my favourite. I'm so grateful when I get the opportunity to sit down with a guest and really break down their boundaries, really talk and get this discussion really open and honest. And Winston is just phenomenal. I'm going to get to that interview in just a couple of minutes' time, but before then, let's touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 237, I was joined by the brains behind the absolutely incredible film, Brian and Charles. Yes, I was joined by Chris Hayward. This was a massive interview, and this film is beautiful. It's one of the best films I've seen this year, and I've seen so many people go off the back of this episode and buy it on either iTunes or Amazon, or go and buy the actual DVD or Blu-ray. And that is amazing to see, because this film is unreal. And I'm so glad that everybody is finding out now about this, because it's one of those little gem films that everyone needs to know about. But let's get back to today's episode. This is a huge one for me, and I'm so happy with the way it turns out. So let's get to it. Here's me and the absolutely amazing Winston McCall talking all things Parkway Drive. Winston, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. My pleasure. What I like to do, Winston, is get to know you better. And for the listeners out there today that might have not listened to Parkway Drive, um, it's given them an idea about how you came to be the person you are. So let's go right back to the very, very start. Uh, when you were a kid, can you remember those first albums that maybe you used your pocket money or you got bought that made you absolutely fall in love with music? Oh man. So it goes, it goes back further than the purchasing of music. Um, I grew up listening to my parents' vinyl. Um, they had a really big reggae collection um, and also a big rock collection in terms of like, well, my dad's from Brighton to start with. Oh, okay. Um, and my mum lived over there for a fair while with him. And like, he, he grew up with the who and the Beatles and, Rolling Stones and all that kind of stuff. And then obviously went on into like, yeah, the reggae, the reggae side of things. So I have this very just vivid memory of music being throughout my entire life and spending a lot of my time rifling through the cover arts for LPs. And like as a kid, like that's just like a book. So you look at the cover art of all of these amazing artists on the on the vinyl covers and yeah, that was it. So it was, it was, I guess a lot of a lot of that era of music kind of just started my trajectory 
in life and it's kind of just i've had a soundtrack ever since to be honest <laughs> so what about live music because obviously it all changes when you go to that first gig and you get to see it on stage and think okay it's not just on the it's not just on a vinyl i can actually yeah. hear a vocalist and see him in front of me and i can hear the guitars and my ribs are shaking and the bass lines are there so do you remember was it a cool first band you saw or is it a bit of an embarrassed one that you don't tell people no nah, it was my first live gig was Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, nice. <laughs> Epic. Like, which would have been mid-90s, I'm guessing. And um, John Farnham was Jesus. Angry Anderson, Pontus Pilate. Um, Kate Sobrano. Like, the, the biggest names in Australian music at that point in time. And that was the first time I ever saw live music. And I, I'm pretty sure it was, other than Carols by Candlelight. But... Yeah, I saw that at like the Brisbane Entertainment Centre and there was lasers and there was John Farnham on a giant like neon and mirrored cross thing. had no idea what the music was, but I was just like, extravagance. (laughs) (laughs) Small town town kid going to like the big smoke and watching like an arena event. (laughs) It's your first gig is pretty wild. So when did it follow up when you got to see like an actual live band on stage? Was there a kind of cool band you got to see when you were growing up that you were a big fan of? I think it was local bands. Um, Local bands were the first ones that actually introduced me to live music in a proper way. And that wasn't until high school. Um, And then just like local alternative bands playing like a battle of the bands or just a random gig where there would be like, a stage in one room and a rave next door and you just like bounce between the two. Um, and it wasn't the, the, probably the biggest, the biggest, most formative one was when Warp Tour came to town, um, which was for, oh, yeah, mid to late nineties, like Warp Tour came to Australia for the first time. And this was like right at the period when like we would have been in grade eight or nine I think, and you start actually caring about music. Like all of a sudden it starts forming your identity and punk rock was the, was the thing. And it was the soundtrack to all the surf movies we watched and like that skater punk epitaph, fat records, burning heart. Like that was just everything you cared about. And all of a sudden warp tour rolls into town and it's like, it's blink one, eight, two on the dude ranch cycle and Pennywise that's coming incredible. back. Yeah, dude. Like that's it. It was like, we, we watched, blink before they blew up which was crazy so um yeah like unwritten law all of that kind of stuff um and that was the first proper gig where it was like what am i doing i'm jumping up and down i'm going crazy i can't breathe i'm getting squashed i'm going to climb on my friend's head this is sick (laughs) oh my god what's going on and at that point in time it felt like the biggest event that i'd ever seen and ever been to all of my friends were there it was like the local football field um and it felt enormous. And now that I look back at the photos of it, I'm like, there was probably 400 people there. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> felt like 40,000 at that point in time. But yeah, it was probably like 400 people. <laughs> so is that kind of a point in your life where you said music took over, but was that kind of a bit where you were like, I want to be like those guys on stage. I want to do a Vans walk tour. I want to get out and be like, I don't know, bands, I suppose in Australia, was it like, Powderfinger and Silverchair and stuff like that that were really kind of oh mainstream. yeah they were they, they were already they were enormous yeah and that was a different kind of thing the thing with punk was uh, it was accessible and it was far more adrenaline charged like even like Silverchair on Frog Stomp 
was still like mid-paced grunge. Like it yeah. was not breakneck, like, oh my God, I've had too much coffee and I've had all the sugar in the world. Now I just want to go. <laughs> um, it was, it was very much tied into like the adrenaline side of things because it really did go hand in hand with like the surf culture of our town. Like growing up in Byron, like everyone moved to this town with the idea of just surfing, like the environment that we live in is incredible. The waves are amazing. It's tropical. Like it never gets really cold. The surf is always good. So like our parents moved here to surf. Everyone else's parents moved here to surf. You learn to surf at a young age. And then that influences all of the culture in the entire town. Um, and that goes for like the music because it was like that was this, like I said, the soundtrack to the surf movies. And it was less about at that point in time wanting to be a musician as it was just going, this is another form of adrenaline. Yeah. Um, what did happen though was certain, like there's a handful of guys at school who started punk bands. Um, and one of them being, well, the main one being a band called Think Straight, who our, our guitarist and manager now, Luke, um, played guitar in. Um, so around Warp Tour time and then after Warp Tour, they started playing more and more. And it was less like a proper gig and more of a house party or at a hall or in someone's garage. And you got to go to gigs, what you thought were gigs a bit more and experience live music a bit more. And all of a sudden you're participating in it a bit more. It was less of like this crazy big event that only happens once. And it was more like, oh, I'm, I want to go and see bands. I want to I see this more often because bands didn't tour our town. We just came down to local acts. But all of a sudden, the local acts started cater catering to the sound that was now, which was um, was when the the paths started started to kind of become a bit more integrated. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, man. And do you still get to surf now? Do you get much time to do it, or oh, yeah. are you just yeah all the time? Oh, yeah, yeah, like hundred percent. Like it's all it's <laughs> it's all about surfing. Like that blurted out, but it is. <laughs> you don't forget about it, um, no. and. We all we all live in still live in Byron. It's still the place that we we love, and it's just like if we're not on tour, we're at home and you surf whenever you can, which is quite a lot. So I think I had a bit of a midlife crisis. So I turned forty this year, and um, I've always wanted to surf, but I used to live in the city. There was nowhere to surf. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then me and my wife, uh, I, I lived with her, and we got a place in Shropshire, which is not too for like two hours away from the ocean. And for my birthday, she got me some actual surfing lessons. Uh, and I was like, I got there, put this wetsuit on, look round, and there must be about 12 other people, but none of them were over the age of sort of 12. <laughs> I was like, fucking hell. No, so I man. stood there with all these kids, like embarrassed. But I went out there and I couldn't believe how much it took out of me. I was battered. Yeah. The sea. Yeah destroyed me i was breathless i was so unfit um but it was the adrenaline and just the rush of just trying to get that rip under your board honestly was the best experience ever dude you're never too old for it you're never too old to learn how to surf like that's that's the thing like the biggest the biggest barrier with anything is like the ego of like oh it's a little bit embarrassing everything yeah. you describe everyone goes through and everyone feels and it's just that thing of like keeping on doing it because it is like it's 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 straight up addictive it it's, is it's amazing it's absolutely fantastic and it's a it's an amazing lifestyle to to have like it never it never leaves you um and yeah it's never left us like we used to plant literally 
for the first several years of being in the band, surfing was still what we cared about more than the band. Yeah. Like we were bummed that we'd have to go on tour as much as we love tour. If there was a good swell at home and you're missing it, you're just like, Oh God. Like <laughs> you'd see photos from home. You're like, Oh, I'm missing the surf. Like I'm doing a good gig, but I'm missing the surf. Yeah. And pl- like we started planning regional tours around Australia, around the surf spots. <laughs> Okay. I love it. We take all the boards in the back, and you'd like you'd load in in the afternoon, and you'd sound check, and you're like, "We got to be done by one, so we can go down and like get it when the wind swings offshore." So, <laughs> and you just like tag out and go, "Sweet, sound check's done. Peace. We're going to the beach." And That's amazing. For- but I'm gonna do it yeah. again. I'm gonna go back. Uh, I'm not gonna let it put me off. I, I hurt myself. I fell, and my ribs felt really battered. And I was like, I, I don't think I broke a rib, but it was really badly bruising but i was like i'm gonna go back the adrenaline's there the rush is there but oh it's there's nothing like it there's nothing it like that experience yeah and it takes it out of you you know like you build all the fitness and strength it's like everything yeah. man like it everything will. you can't just like hop in and just go this is gonna be easy it's physical yeah, well, like why am i not going on top of these uh, massive waves <laughs> yeah. and being a professional why is this not easy <laughs> yeah it's frustrating but obviously your band's been going over is it over 20 years now it's just coming up to 20 years. 20 like, years, almost. We're within the 20 year radius, I think, of when when we, I think November is what we figured out. We like we started jamming and the concept of this band started like actually existing. We didn't play for the first time until I think March. Yeah. 20, 20, 2003. Oh my God. 2003. <laughs> it's scary, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's nuts. It's It's just, yeah. But wow. but I've seen footage from your first show, and as far as first shows normally go, it's either a battle of the bands or in like a youth club hut or something, or supporting yeah. your brother's band who have just let you on yeah. because they've been your mom's told you to give them a, give them a chance. But your yeah. first gig looked fucking ace, to be honest. Like everyone looked really up for it, and uh, the footage looked like it just looked great. I've seen a couple of early footage of like Pearl Jam, Rage Against the Machine, and you guys, and it yeah. all looks like a really awesome first show. It's, I tell you what's funny, at least two of the three statements you said was right. It was at the youth center and it was supporting my younger brother's band. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, so Ben actually was drumming in that band as well. Like, and we started Parkway because we just wanted to do something a little bit more metal sounding at that point in time. So yeah, they were, they were on the bill as well. And we, we gigged on that bill and the youth center itself was the only place that was that we were basically were able to have gigs in our town like we come from a like byron's a super touristy town like all there especially at that that time all there was catered to was tourism which meant there was no because of drinking laws there was no underage or all ages gigs and who the hell wants to put on a bunch of screaming people at the pub where tourists are coming to yeah so the, the youth center let us put on shows. So we just ran our own shows there. We're like, we'd fly the entire town. We'd book bands that would come through, like just touring Australian bands. And um, when we put on gigs and there was literally like, we made a stage eventually, but at that point in time, there was four blocks at the back, which were about two feet high, which the drums sat on. And then the, like a half a foot platform, which the band played on. And it was just this sweaty room with no air conditioning and one fan, which you had to turn off when you played. Otherwise kids would like stage dive and smash their face. Oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> it, was, it was, it was nuts. Like it was, it was, those, the shows were really good because 
it was the only thing which kids in our town could have ownership over and also do whatever they wanted. Like we had no security. It was run by kids for kids. And I mean like children, like we had friends, friends who I'm still friends with now were like, they were like 12 and 10 years old coming to these gigs <laughs> and they're, they're climbing speaker stacks. That's and so awesome. Yeah, it was a really awesome time. And the, it just made the shows really, really intense because you'd go at that point in time, the, the scene of like of metal or hardcore or punk or anything in Australia was not very big in terms of like, there wasn't that many international bands coming. There was no international spotlight on it whatsoever. Um and you'd go to a capital city and like you'd like an international band would tour Brisbane, Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne, and they'd be lucky to get like 300 people on that on the stop at that capital city. And then they'd come to Byron and there'd still be 300 people, except the 300 people are kids going absolutely apeshit. Like just like adrenaline-fueled grommets who were just up for anything. They weren't like going half to the pub to get drunk and just like semi-jaded mid 20 year olds, 30 year olds. They were like teenagers who were just like, we want to smash each other. These bands mean more than anything in my entire life. I know every single word. I'm going to jump off the PA stack. No one's going to stop me doing anything. I'm going to swing from the ceiling fan and bands would roll through. Like when international bands started coming through, they were like, what the hell is going on here? And the gigs were just, insane like absolutely insane every time a band would come through they were like the tour was good but that byron show was like that was the wildest show of the tour <laughs> it's incredible isn't it how good is that and it's on your doorstep yeah man that's the thing it was it's rad like it was that's the way we got into it like it was myself and luke that were booking the shows and then once once every few weeks we'd have we'd photocopy the flyers and drive around in a car and sticky tape the flyers onto the onto the shops and onto the um, the telegraph poles so the police couldn't rip them down, hope you didn't get caught. And that's how you ran the gigs. And then one of your mates would sit there and there'd be like a 13-year-old kid with a stamp going, 15 bucks to get in and putting a stamp on your hand and people just going, what's happening here? <laughs> I love all that DIY stuff though. Like I was in a band when I was at school and college and we weren't, you know, we weren't successful, but I loved the homegrown, going out there, doing your posters. Like some of us would have part-time jobs in record shops. So you'd use the photocopy without the manager finding yeah. out and then go out and there was no Twitter or Facebook or Instagram to promote yeah. these shows. And it was all word of mouth. And honestly, it worked. Everybody told everybody, if you didn't go, you were the outsider. It's like, you missed a fucking show last yeah. night. Like, you know, yeah. it's such a good buzz. Yeah. And the joy of like, of also just like, if you went to another city or something and you saw a flyer for a tour or a gig you didn't know about and you saw it and you're like, oh man, there's a poster I haven't seen. What's the poster for? And you look at it and you're like, there's a tour coming to town. I didn't even realize that was on it. I haven't got a zine. Like it's not yeah. like a not even message boards don't even exist yet online there's no online anything it's all literally just like it's it's like a when you look back at it now you're like that is basically like knowing morse code, it is. Morse it code is. so yeah it was this it was it's a it was a really cool time to be able to experience and that makes me sound so fucking old dude We're like granddad's <laughs> talking about old records yeah. they don't make them like that anymore son yeah yeah <laughs> We have these things called flyers. <laughs> they were made of paper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't have Facebook, you know, that was it. Um, but then you guys obviously grew and grew, and it's it's insane that it's almost 20 years. But 
being in the band, were you kind of aware of the sheer volume that you grew? And I know it took a while, but the fact that you were probably doing these shows of 400 people and then, oh, okay, we're now not supporting, we're headlining and that gradual increase of popularity where more people were coming to the shows. Were you kind of not even realizing it because you were just enjoying the ride and having fun? Yeah, to a degree. It's it's really interesting. The first time I actually got to look back was when COVID hit. Yeah. And, and, it, and it created the chop, like the the actual stop. Because you do you you notice the growth in in increments in comparison to the most recent experience. Like as much as I remember, like I remember our first show like it was yesterday. I remember playing in the youth center. But when I go back to the youth center, I walk into that room. I'm like, this place is tiny. That show, <laughs> it's like that a cloak room. Huge. Yeah, that show felt huge. And I do that with a lot of venues these days. And I'll walk back in and I'm like, wow, I remember this show being so monumental at the time and so enormous because we were in this room for the first time and it's so much bigger than where we were before. But now I walk in, I'm like, oh, this is, this is quite small. This is just a club. Uh, and you're still doing that with like Wembley Arena you're like oh it's tiny <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't mean, mean to sound like a like a full-on wanker with this but the last tour uh there's certain places where I did because there was other places that I walked into that were booked on the tour which we hadn't played for the first time and I'm like yeah this is enormous and then it, there was like three other venues which we'd played previously which at that point in time I was like this is enormous by the time we rolled back to that, I was like, oh, this isn't as big as I actually remember it being. So it's all just a perspective that you that you grow over time. And, and it more often than not just relates to the step that came before it. And when you do it for 17 years, like where we, where we were right before COVID finished, there was like a run of shows which were festival, Euro festival dates, which were mental. Like it was insane. It's like headlining Varken, headlining a whole bunch of metal fests over there. You're playing to like between 30 and 80,000 people every night. And I remember that feeling really big. Like that was really, really crazy. Um, but then COVID hit and it all stopped. And a year later, like our documentary came out on Netflix over here. And I was like, I'm going to watch it because I haven't seen it in a year since we stopped playing. And I saw it all through fresh eyes of having the experience all having bled out of me and the memories being there, but not visceral, like right at the front. And I looked at the footage of the crowds and the things that we were doing. And I'm like, that's mental. That's enormous. <laughs> like yeah. that is, like, that is so enormous. I didn't realize it was of that scale. Like my perception of scale just has had slowly slid with the band's growth. And when you take it back to zero and then you look at something of that scale, you really just go, whoa, we got somewhere where I didn't even real I, I didn't really didn't realize what it became. <laughs> what it is. <laughs> I mean, the lockdown for I spoke to a lot of bands over lockdown and just after it, and it was like a big pause button for everyone, uh, everyone in the world, really. But bands really couldn't go to work so where some people could still go in and work from home and stuff bands i think were hit the hardest because what you do is get out there and play shows for lots of people in big crowds which is the whole world said no crowds for a couple of years so as yeah. a band did it give you time to reflect and i know you said then you could like look back at everything and kind of have that time to reflect but 
was it like a make or break time for you guys? Was it like shit? Like now we can actually see where the problems are, where the cracks are that we've been. <laughs> nah, That's we just good. wrote a report that made the cracks worse. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like it's it's um it's been very recently which we re- where we realized like the issues. Uh, well, no, to be honest, like we realized it quite some time ago. But what COVID did was provide uh, a break in the cycle to give us the chance to address things. Yeah. Um, what had happened previously was like everything just built up, like 17 years of, of, of just relentless push and survival and pressure that we put on ourselves. And it's the grind of being in a band. Like it really, the reality of being in a band if you do it as a career, which is a massive choice to make, because like, if you, if you are going to choose it as a career, there comes a time when you're like, I have to quit everything else to do this thing because I, you can't hold down a job and still go and fill out enough band commitments of writing records and being on tour to hold down your employment back at home. Yeah. And you can't also complete a proper like band existence if you're not there all the time. So you really do have to make that choice. And the choice is subscribing to uh, a model these days where to, to, to get an income, you have to tour. Like the income comes from touring and to tour, you have to have relevant material and relevant material has become something that's so readily available and expected that like attention spans have dropped so much that that has to be produced much faster. And it's something where the, the, the survival aspect really kicks in. You're you're just like, I don't want to remove myself from this cycle because it could all just vanish. Like sense of like you are replaceable is more present now than ever. Like, it's not like you can, disappear from a record store it's just like there's a billion other things at the touch of a button that will will take the place of your presence if if you are not present in people's like straight up front of vision as much as you can be so i don't think music has ever been as disposable as it is now like it's it's like a youtube video like because of spotify and stuff like i remember you were talking then about the the early albums you'd get and stuff i remember buying like a Soundgarden or Nirvana or Silverchair album going home because I'd spent like 12 pounds. It was my pocket yeah. money. So I'd worked all week as a paper boy, you yeah. know, doing this, got round to it. I'd go home, look at every page, smell the inlay, read every lyric, see all the photos of the band, play the album on a, you know, cassette or CD from start to finish. There was no flicking tracks. It was, I'm listening yeah. to this entirety. And because I'd spent 12 pounds on it, even if it was not a great album, I would make myself fall in love with it. Let these albums be growers and kind of really take time to digest in me. And then I would honestly spend probably three or four weeks until I had enough money to buy another album. So I'll go and buy yeah. offspring or something else. But yeah. Now I'm like, oh, I'll listen to the new Green Day album. Oh, I can't be asked. This track, first track's not very good. Oh well, they've lost my they've lost my attention from thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Like that is it's depressing, exactly, but it's true. It's just true, and you can't. The thing is, like, you're old man screaming at cloud. If you yeah. think that that you can tell someone that only knows, like, the genie's out of the bottle. It's never going back. It's changed the perception of the way that people relate to music try try 
telling a generation that's had every song on the planet at their fingertip for free that actually no, for every 15 shot songs you need to spend 10 quid 30 bucks yeah. that's the way it works. you're just gonna go fuck off I know. it's, it's so alien oh, isn't it now yeah it's like trying like it's like trying to charge someone to breathe air like i know we, and, and it's literally but that but it devalues the concept of music and that's what it that's what it is as much as i i will be old man screaming at cloud with this it 100 has devalued the concept just the concept of what music is and what it means to people as, as an art form like it's become it's be, it's possible for for genuine music to be just background noise now yeah if it's free it can be in the background because you don't have to you don't have to invest in it like the physical investment of money is gone <laughs> let alone the emotional investment that comes with the physical side of things so, and i think that's why yeah. bands are now out there touring more so a band oh, for example like metallica or tool you would never get to see smashing pumpkins literally would come to the uk every five years if you don't go to that one show you're not going to see them again they're here yep. now every 12 months because they have to yeah. sell those t-shirts. They have to be selling those vinyls. They do meet and greets to get more money and revenue. And do you know what? Like as a music fan for live music, it's brilliant because you get to see bands like Alice in Chains play every 12 months. But yeah. as a band, the exhaustion, the workload, Billy Corgan must be sitting there now thinking, fucking hell, I used to sell a million records and not have to tour. And now he's having to do every festival ever in the summer to try and probably pay his money. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's pr he'd be pretty sorted off those. Well, he, 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 he'll be all right, but there's others out yeah, there. He'll be well. all right. That's the thing. But, but every other band trying to break through, like it's a, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. And that's the cycle that we've, we've grown up in. That's the thing. Like our, our first couple of albums, like our first, our first album came out right when MySpace started and, Napster was a thing and Napster started the whole thing. So yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause like that, when you're in that cycle, bringing it back to what it's been like for us, when you're in that cycle, it's very, when, when we saw things changing and the pressures grew, um, there was reasons behind it because we've chosen to um, keep everything very in-house with what we do. Um, and that, this was also down to the survival aspect where like, if we get a manager, there's 20% of your income, boom, gone straight away to someone who does something, which we could probably figure out how to do. Like we learned how to put on gigs when we were kids. Let's figure out like how to manage a band. So like Luke became our manager. And then when we ended up like we were writing albums and instead of doing pre-pro somewhere crazy, Jeff learned how to do production on his on his computer and learn pro tools and learn all the production techniques when it came to doing music videos and, and, uh, uh, documentaries we made like Ben learned how to edit final cut and everything like that. So he made them all himself. And I took over all the press duties and learned how to like design stages. Um, but the bigger the band got, the more those became legitimate job, paths or probably individual careers in themselves and they were all quite different and they pushed us kind of apart to a degree and just added a whole bunch more pressure and instead of talking about it we just kind of kept trying to forge ahead just like we'd have a chat about it and we'd go all right let's talk about this but we don't want to go in too much depth because we're going to go back on tour in next week and you don't want to cancel a tour because you don't want to be known as the band that cancels a tour because the next time around no one's going to come to the gig so 
for several years, like basically we slapped band-aids on these little cracks and just kind of rolled on through. Um, and then COVID hit and it just changed obviously everything. And we chose to write an album in that time, which was great, but that was also a massive challenge in itself, which pushed people to complete burnout mode and like made the cracks even worse. And then when we addressed that at the end of uh, the writing process, we were basically left in a position where like the cracks had become so wide that we couldn't communicate properly. We couldn't even bring them together to actually give each other the space to recognize each other's voice. Like someone would say, I've got an issue and you just, you go, just say your issue so I can say my issue. I'm not actually listening. Yeah. I just wanted to see what my issue is. And that's what it would, that's what it kind of, it came down to. And at that point it was like, well, we've got a tour booked in four weeks. And, and that was when like the decision became very stark because we're like, well, previously we've been in this exact position. And what we did was we'll say, we'll have this one talk and then we'll go back on tour. And we went on tour and it made it worse. And we we're like, let's not go on tour. We got to work on like, we got to work on these issues. And that's like, yeah, that was when we basically chose to go down the new path. Uh, and I watched, uh, I watched on YouTube this week the Getting Heavy half an hour uh, video, and it was a real opener. And I thought to myself, for all of you, how brave you were to kind of let everyone see that because you're showing just how much of a sacrifice you make as a band. And some people think it's all glory, and you go out there, you do these shows, you get drunk, there's all these women, and it's a party every night. But I didn't realize just that all of you have your individual role and still do with the, you know, the organizing of a tour and... Uh, producing the records and doing the videos and I can't believe that you aren't all dead because the amount of sleep you must have missed out on or you've not all gone insane because I don't know how you've done that to yourself and still survive and still get to do these shows on the scale that they are yeah it's been like it's passion it like, is to, yeah for, for all of the for all of the, like how much it takes out of us and Jeff's right when he's like when he says like it, it takes a piece of your soul like it it does but it's something that we give because we love doing it. Like we're, we're obsessed with doing it and it's a, and it's a good obsession. Like it's a common, what we have as a band is a, a, a family, which has gone through certain like dysfunctions, Yeah. but they're still my best mates. They're still my family. And we're, we're bonded together by this common art project, which we all, it's very strange because it's, um, it's something which we know not only do we love doing it, but every person in the band shares a common vision of it, which is heightened by every other person. We know that the, the vision is, is common, but you take out one of the elements and it no longer is a true representation of what that vision is. So it, it ends up in this place where you do just want to give more. Um, and it's like hindsight's a crazy thing because you look back and you're like, fuck man. Yeah. Like we've been through some, there's so much more than what, what is on in that half an hour. Yeah. That's the thing. Like it's very hard to, to let people in on 20 years of life experience. Like even me watching it back, like we watched, we all watched it back and we're like, this is like, it's a, it's very well put together. And we're really stoked that people have got more of an insight and it's been able to provide 
Like the whole idea was we're going through some shit and if we're going through with it, let's be honest about it and hopefully provide an example that there can be a pathway through this, through communication and through being vulnerable. And it shouldn't have to be something where we are seen as brave for being vulnerable. Like vulnerability and bravery should not have to go hand in hand. It should just be accepted that you can be vulnerable. Yeah. And, and that was the, that was the thing for us. But like, there's, there's, there's just a, there's a lot, a lot of, um, like when you, when, if I'm really honest with like what this band has been, like the survival aspect is very, very true. Like as, as rosy as like the stuff that we look back on of like, Oh, we used to sleep in the gutter. Oh my God. Yeah. We used to go hungry, but it was a big adventure. I'm like, shit happened on those adventures that would, yeah, that, that define like one of those events would define an individual's life. And we've been living that multiple times over for, for 20 years um, and just getting through it, which is, which is crazy. Like it's led to a very wild life, but um, no one's ever going to know the true depth of what has gone into um, getting this band to where it is and, and still does. That's the thing. Like it's these things ripple on through hindsight allows you to see the forks in the road and where they were. And you don't realize that there was necessarily a path which could have taken you to somewhere healthier and avoided some pain or some struggle. But, um, but at that point in time, you chose to do things a certain way because that's all you kind of knew. And there's been a lot of things that you look back on now and you, and it's like, fuck man, like it's, it's core, it's, it's caused issues <laughs> to put it, put it mildly. I mean, for a band like yourself that have kind of, and I say this with full respect, you kind of worn masks for nearly 20 years because you're yeah. coming across as you're this really happy, successful band that are having the time of their life. And no one saw the cracks, you know, until your documentary comes out <clears throat> and the YouTube series, unless they met you and got to talk to you, they'd just see that, you know, the, the great photo shoots of the band, the festivals that are all getting huge. Yeah. But to, to, give the fans that insight the only other one that i saw was when metallica released their some kind of monster documentary but that for me and it's no disrespect to them they're an amazing band but it seemed a bit forced it seemed a bit put on at times i didn't feel like it was completely sincere it was a bit too i don't know it felt like a bit hollywood of the breakdown of the band but you guys on this half an hour are putting everything out there like everything uh talking about some really heavy stuff and showing the sacrifices like i said that the bands had to make but now it's all kind of and i'm not saying you you don't have to wear a mask anymore but now it's out there and people can see that there were issues and you've come out stronger in a weird way does it now feel like the band are slightly treading on eggshells because you don't want it to go bad again you're all like okay we've come out of this counseling <laughs> session we've all had yeah. this really honest time we've all spoke about stuff we've kept bottled up for so long if one of you's in a I don't know a hotel and you say, "Oi, fuck face, help me with this," like, what did you call me? You know, you're really scared not to. Oh, kind of... we do. No, we've got things in place for that. Yeah, like we, we, yeah, we were, but we've like the interesting thing about the 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 documentary was like I I watched it back because we didn't get to see like the final edit of it. We literally like I sat down with my friends and watched it for the first time when it aired on ABC TV here because it was like. I mean that that show in Australia is literally like the peak of of quality journalism. So it was nuts that they they it was just a crazy thing that they wanted to do with something on our band. Um, but watching it back, like it was filmed uh, 
kind of halfway through the the process that we were going through with the with the counseling and stuff um before we went on tour so it it wasn't reflective of where we're at now as people like we've made leaps and bounds even since since then but even then watching it back was i mean it's, it's traumatic and it's triggering like um it's something where yeah like jaya hadn't even talked we hadn't had a conversation with him about what happened like since the event like no since going to tegan's like wake and um like those counseling sessions was the first time he he talked to us about it and it was like it's it's just it's 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 huge like it's just huge it's it's completely like a rend in your life just going yeah there's no words um, i don't think is there to sum up that kind of oh uh, dude and it's not something, and, you know it was just it's just it's just like obviously that that period was massively massively difficult like it was that that, that several years of the of the of um because that that whole thing played out over i th- my sense of time is kind of warped with it now but I, i'd say about nine months and and like tegan got the diagnosis while we we're on a tour and jaya flew home and then we we paid him to stay home from then on and just we had fill in for several months but in that same time like we also on tour with um with architects and tom had um cancer as well and in that same time my dog got cancer and i had at one point there was three beings that i cared about with the same diagnosis and then like my my dog died and then i went on tour and halfway through that tour tom passes away and then two weeks later tegan passes away and it was like it was just literally just like sky just caving yeah and there's no way of like i'm not gonna like there was just no way of reconciling life point in time so um nothing must seem like it had any importance anymore everything must have just felt like what's the point you know yeah, dude. Yeah, it was nuts. It was like completely insane. It's one of those things where you just look up the sky and you're like, what is what is existence? Full stop. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I wasn't like, we just tried to do the best we could. Um, and it, it wasn't necessarily the right way of doing things. But that's the thing with hindsight. When, when you're confronted with, when you're so far, like it's not even like you're out of your depth. You're literally like, wrapped in an anchor dropped to the bottom of the ocean and there's just no light you just it really is just like survival so yeah like what we've what we've uh coming through all of this stuff has been amazing because it has we've been able to share a lot of our lives which we never shared with each other because i think that shut us down even more um and then before like we'd all come to really good places before we went on tour because we just got back from our first tour and before we went away like we we really were like okay what like going forward how are we going to change the culture within this band like we are so used to like what's going to happen when we leave this space because we know we're in such a good space at home with each other and when we're in these sessions this is the best it's ever been but we're about to go back into the most toxic and triggering place we can be, which is on tour, yeah. which is like you're in a confined area 
with these five people with 20 years worth of like of triggering experiences and ways that you're used to acting how do you not let it slip and there's and, no way out at any point is there there's no never, way out. There's never I, like a timeout card no but we did that was the thing like sean um who you see briefly on the documentary is our counselor was yeah. like gave us the tools he was like you like you can say timeout you can you can say i need a timeout and and everyone will agree that okay that's sweet you can say you can have whatever you want you can say this is going too far we need to set like you need to be able to say i'm not comfortable with this or ask someone if you're going too far and you'll feel it out it doesn't have to feel unnatural but you just need to figure out where the boundaries are and that's kind of we sat down and we did that and we've been regimented as well and like we haven't dropped the practice of like of what we call checking in where like once it, we're doing we did it twice or three times on tour where we just sit down the, the five of us and check in and go i'm feeling like this today and i'm feeling like this because of this and this and this and everyone would listen to them and go cool thanks for sharing that and then the other guys would as well and that way we'd know where we were and what what everyone else was feeling and it helps just reconnect and it's that thing of just being it encourages the vulnerability and it also encourages the support because the support seems to be very forthcoming as soon as someone realizes that someone you love is struggling it's the it's the reaching out and asking for help and being vulnerable which is kind of the challenging thing and that's only challenging because of the fear of showing vulnerability and that fear is there because of the way we're brought up in society <laughs> do you know so, with yeah. with the way life is and i'm not in a band or anything but i've got a really close um number of friends which i could count on two hands instead of when i was growing up i always wanted to be popular i always wanted to have yeah. hundreds and hundreds of mates but whatever happened over the last couple of years, I've realized that less is more. And I've now got people that I love, genuine friends that won't let me down, that it's not all me chasing them to see if they want to hang out. It's a two-way thing. But yeah. what I found with vulnerability is I never wanted to be the guy that put my hand up and say, I felt suicidal. I felt like I've lost everything. I felt like... Um, you know, I've, I've, I've treated this girl so badly that I'm literally scum of the earth, but I try to be cool with it all. And to turn around and then tell these people that now are my close friends, I was so scared, so, so worried about what everyone's views were going to be that they didn't want to hang out with me anymore because I was like the odd one who had issues. And the one thing I've learned over the last couple of years, and maybe it's my age, maybe it's growing up a bit, is all of them would turn around, the decent people that are in my life now, and say, me too or thank yeah. fuck now yes. i can now i can fucking admit it too do you know what i've been waiting for someone yeah. to give me a chance and i wish yeah. more people now wouldn't put this life on instagram and facebook and twitter where everything's rosy where everything's perfect that the filter yeah. makes them look like they've got the greatest life because there's nothing wrong with saying i fucking hate myself today but it's only today you know yeah, yeah that's that's completely it that's the thing and that's the interesting thing with like the the mask concept of what the band actually is because it was never it was the thing where we didn't want to acknowledge it ourselves because we suffer we um, suffered but we we've had imposter syndrome our entire yeah. existence our entire existence like we've always been like with a band that came from the last place on earth that you'd expect the metal band to come from even in our own town we play the type of music that 
people don't think should be big. And even within that, we don't fit the mold of what the big bands are. And you live in a world where like for all the fantastic, like support that these scenes offer you, that underside, which is as cruel as it wants to be. And yeah. if you find something cruel about being written about yourself, I oh mean, it's a couple of clicks away. Like, and people will say the most horrible shit they can. Uh, like, it's just the way society actually is. But in terms of us, like, wanting to confront anything or be vulnerable or anything, we didn't feel like vulnerability, like, not only within ourselves, but just as a band. We, we came from the exact opposite of just, like, the way through this is to, is to play harder, be better, learn more, to to basically be unstoppable and unbreakable because that's like if you can't that way no one can fault it like no one can fault it and when it keeps going successfully you kind of you even if you are feeling like not great you're just like that's just kind of what it is isn't it i don't know like uh, it can't be that bad like fuck there's there's people in massive bands who are committing suicide with drug problems and we're just having like i'm just feeling kind of shitty about going on tour or i'm feeling a bit undervalued and you're just like it can't be that bad is it i just watched the just watched a hollywood movie about a band where someone ends up getting a drug addiction and someone someone gets murdered or something like that yeah. like it's just the reality of being a human and realizing that at the base of everything under every bit of glamour or perception, you just have a bunch of humans doing different things. It doesn't. And, and at the end of the day, it's all going to like, everyone's going to have their problems. You, you can't measure yours against someone else's and say yours is more worthy than mine. Like you, you kind of can't, but at the same point in time, you kind of set up like that with society in general, you measure your success against someone else's and you measure your misery against someone else's. You turn on the TV and you're like, fuck someone else in the world is doing it way worse than me. So I shouldn't complain. Like, it's crazy. it's a really weird way to put it, but it's, it's so true. Like everyone measures success. Oh, they sold 10 million albums. Well, they sell 20 million, but yeah. there is this competition as on the other side. It's weird. Like, yeah, I've had a bad time. Yeah. But you didn't kill yourself like so-and-so. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but I but I felt like it. I could have, you yeah. know, it's, it's 100%, such a... and I still felt shit. Yeah. Like, and it, yeah. Like, you, like living with depression for your entire life and then dying of old age of a life lived with depression is less bad than being so depressed you kill yourself after a couple of years like it's not a contest no like that thing like misery there's a there's this weird concept of of, of misery and pain uh, being a, a contest in the same way as success which is a very macabre way of looking at things, but it's, it's fucking real. <laughs> but, but everyone wants, it's, it's kind of this, the one thing I don't like at the moment with some social media stuff is it's cool to hate stuff. So it's like you, it's cool to be the person that says, do you know what? Everyone that's loving this, you're wrong. It's fucking shit. And what I see is like people will hate a film and say it's the worst film ever made six months before it's even come out or an album's yeah. not quite released. They're like, Oh, it's their worst ever work. Like it's never yeah. as good as their first album. It's like, but they've only released one single of a 12 track album, but I hate this. And I want it to, I want it to go away that it's, you want to be yeah. that cool, but it's, it's, it's cool to hate, you know? And I'm like, stop it. Yeah. But that's never going to change as well. Like, no, uh, the, the internet is not designed 
for anything other than the extremes. Yeah, like that's fair. Someone going on is going online and saying, "I mildly enjoy this." Not my favorite. Who's <laughs> yeah, gonna do that? Like, I'm gonna it, try it, it. I'm gonna start being that guy. Like yeah, I quite like, like, like this album. Like, even it it goes both ways. People are like, oh my god, it's the greatest thing in the world. Oh my, there wasn't sunlight before this before this <laughs> album. Like it was just an album. Like I, it's a, yeah. it's a cool art. Like yeah, like you can you can just say I like this, but that's just a switch in culture as well. That's the thing. That's like that. It's all. It's all very, just very interesting. And yeah, in terms of everything online, you have to like, you have to realize that that's just a different world. Like that's, that. I guess that's the the scary thing about like, one day we're all going to live in the metaverse where you only love something or you hate something. And that's a very, very polar world to live in. Yeah, <laughs> That's where we're heading. It's just into love and hate and there's nothing in between. Like, geez. There's no world without lust. Imagine that warm, fuzzy feeling. Like it doesn't make you like want to just ignite yourself on fire with passion, but you have that nice fuzzy feeling for a while of like, "Mm, just lust, isn't it? Like that, that's a, a, (laughs) where's that gone in the world? I'm, a, like, I'm, a, I'm an old man. People are going to like, this podcast is too grand. Oh, but... it's getting too old. It's just too old, dude. just saying, back in my day, people kind of didn't like things. And also almost... <laughs> <laughs> but on the successful side, and to wrap this up in the good stuff, is that you've come back from the UK doing your biggest shows with more fire than I've ever seen at a show since, <laughs> since Ramstein, I think. And... Yeah every place was rammed and you must have been like feeling top of the world now i know you've gone through a lot with this documentary and the counseling but it must feel like it's reborn you've come out of lockdown where you may have had these moments where you thought you might never show or be able to put out music again yeah and now you're like you must be fucking loving life and we can talk about obviously the download announcement as well but there's you must be feeling like it's pretty much going up again yeah, it's really it's really nice. Like it's it's strange because I've come home and people are like, How's the tour? And I'm like, Yeah, it was really good. And that's as much as I've kind of been saying, because that's kind of all I can say about it. Because I mean, I'll obviously say more, but that's been my honest reaction. The because it was literally the best tour that we've ever done. Yeah. And at the root of the entire thing was just I had so much joy with my mates just playing on stage. It was literally the best time that I've ever spent with my friends being on stage. And the most I've looked at them and gone, you're really good at what you do. I'm just going to watch you do that thing a little bit now. Like I'm going to, all of this shit's going off, but I'm just looking at you riffing or hitting a drum skin. And occasionally we'll catch eyes and we'll just both giggle at how crazy like this is that we get to do it and then we'll smile and we'll we'll have fun and that was it like it was like it's never been a more connected feeling within the band which is like that's that's the crazy thing about all of this stuff is like we're better as we're better as friends and as a band now and in a better place which we aim to maintain and continue with the work that we're doing but it really was like there was so much anxiety running up to how this whole thing would be like our show is going to be good. Are people even going to show up? Like, is is anything going to go wrong on tour? Is the stage design going to look how you had it in your brain? You execute this shit. 
we going to break up as a band halfway through it? Do we even want to be on tour? We had no idea about all this stuff. And then it started rolling and it was just good. Everything went right. Nothing went wrong. The shows were like the best shows we ever played. The environment that we played in was just rad. Just reconnecting with my friends and like all my friends within the crew as well, who I haven't seen in years all of a sudden like my extended family I got back in that way as well which was like amazing like how beautiful is that to hear you say that also we burnt a lot of stuff but yeah it was <laughs> no it was it was it was it was really good and the show like the shows the best shows it was like the best tour that we've ever done it was the most successful tour we've ever done but take away the success and it was still the best tour we've ever done <laughs> Is... And, and as we're sitting here, we can talk about it. I know it's not announced yet, but there's obviously the announcement that you're going to be playing Download over in the UK, which is going Every to be awesome. Way. Yeah, it is going to be awesome. Very excited for for that run of shows. Have you been so... told what stage you're on and who where your slot is at the moment? Yeah, but I don't know what the announcement's going to entail, so I don't know if I should spill the beans. But I know that the um the the day that we're playing is something. <laughs> I, a, I know i know that they're going to announce and i can edit this out if not needed but i know they're going to announce that there's bring me the horizon metallica for two nights and then um slipknot so i know that yeah. i don't know if you can tell yeah, me more yeah. than that but pretty sure it's like us then then slipknot yeah on the main stage which is a bit of an event like <laughs> You wanna you wanna stack up three bands in a row that are gonna <laughs> demolish Donington? Yeah, it's a pretty good bet. It's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, man, it's gonna be really fun. Like I love downloads always such a sick vibe. And we haven't done festivals, like it'll be like four years since we've been back for festival season. Downloads always been amazing to us. UK's like it's always been amazing, but like the main stage, like it's just a it's just a good vibe. Like it's just a sick vibe. I love being able to like hear that whole hillside sing, watching the whole hillside bounce. Like it's just it's just good. So I'm very much, very much looking forward to it. And yeah, it's a hell of a stack lineup download this year. <laughs> it's gonna be a wild festival season. It's gonna be so good. And uh I I I've been every year and the fact we didn't have it for two years was awful. Like it was like Oh yeah, my man. god! So the fact we could have it last year and then next year, the, the lineup is insane. Obviously, that it'll all be announced soon. But Metallica for two nights, and it's just—I think it's going to be incredible. Like I can't wait. Oh yeah, it has to be. I can't like uh, when I when I yeah when I found out the lineup, I was just like, "You fucking kidding? <laughs> Are you kidding? It, it kind of can't get stronger than that, can it? Like that isn't a yeah. The... That's a straight up. Like there's no, there's not a weak link." in it in terms of like when you look at when you're like oh i could go get a drink at that point in time you're just like no for four days amazing isn't it <laughs> so good yeah my, my friend johnny's going to be there uh and he wants at some point I've, I've got this to show you but he's this is his tattoo that he's got uh for parkway legend look at that uh and he yeah. wants you to sign it to get tattooed oh, not this oh uh, you know what i'll sign the sales yeah he can, he can, if that'd actually look good. That's a, like, that's a good piece. Why would you want my squiggle on it? Ruining? I know. He's, so. I'm going to introduce you to yeah. him and get it done because he wants to get it tattooed over. So that's going to look awesome. 
I don't know if it'll look. It awesome. will, and it like uh, my signature looks. My my, my signature looks. But it wouldn't be the first. But every time someone's like, "I'm gonna get your signature tattooed," but me, I'm like, "Please don't." Like, <laughs> your skin is really nice. You don't need. My <laughs> Dude, what I do on this podcast, and it's my final question for you today, is, and I've done it with all the guests for five years, is the last question is the same for everybody, and you get to choose the last song that is played on this episode. So it's not by your own band; it can be by a band that you love and adore. I'm putting you on the spot and people in bands find it really hard, like really hard. What is a song that um, you want played as the final piece of music after today's episode that means a lot to you? Uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Um, ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. I want to do something new, but I don't want to do something... Uh, uh, we'll just go to Nick Cave and the Ghost Day and the, and the Ghost Scenes, um, and something off Ghost Scene, anything off Ghost Scene, because I think that album's absolutely. Incredible. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna so randomly you... pick one, and then you'll then see. Wait up! I'm literally whipping up my phone now, so I can figure it out. But Bright Horses, amazing. There I've only go. recently got into Nick Cave. Yeah. I was never a massive fan. I didn't. I was just never had explored oh, it. Really? And now I have. He was on a soundtrack. Uh, he did a song, "Into My Arms," uh, with the... <laughs> just a small yeah, one. Just a small one. And uh, I couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> believe. I couldn't written. believe how incredible his voice was. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but oh. I've just. I've just been ignorant and just not never gone down the the Nick Cave road. And then yeah. I, it opened up a whole world. And I'm like. I did the same with Tom Petty about 10 years ago and I was like, fucking hell, like it changed my life. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Completely life changing. And if you ever get the chance to see them live, it is the greatest experience that you will ever have in a live setting, like very close to religious and yeah. like I, I think there's a tour right now. I, I think it's like, I'm sure yeah. it's the end of this year in the UK. By the yeah. hour, it's just because I I went and saw them um, a couple of months ago in Berlin, and it was my first gig back after COVID, and it was literally the the best show that I've ever seen. Like I've it's 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 he's one of the artists that I'm like I I, I talk about it with my wife very often of like imagine being alive when like Beethoven or Mozart or something someone was writing their their like completely like their works and knowing that you're alive in that age of of a complete genius that is like levels above that's what i feel that that him and his band are at this point in time and when you see it live you really and you really understand oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna that, have to go yeah yeah number one number one i'm not gonna say number one fan but number one fan here amazing yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah. been so much work to yeah. delve into i've not even touched the surface like there's so much there. oh dude so much and so much variety of sound it's just yeah amazing get ready <laughs> winston i've been waiting to have you on this podcast and it's all about things happening at the right time and there's certain bands that i've tried and things just don't fall into place um but genuinely it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today and 
I've done this podcast for five years, and I truly mean this. This is in my top episodes. I fucking have adored every second. Yeah, really? I, we just clicked straight away. It didn't feel like there was much pressure. I didn't. It just naturally yeah. just was a good conversation. I've got no pieces of paper with notes. I just just yeah, happened, right. and uh, genuinely, I, I can't wait to edit it and put it out there. And I, I know my crowd and audience are going to absolutely adore this. So I really can't thank you enough for That's coming sure. on, man. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Really appreciate it. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the incredible Winston McCall. What an amazing guest. So open, so trusting, so honest and just a beautiful human being. He's lived through some hard times, but this way that this band have come out stronger, better than ever, and the reports and the reviews that I saw from their most recent tour in the UK was mind-blowing. I can't wait to see them at Download next year. They deserve to be up there on the main stage, and it won't be long until they're headlining. They are absolutely fucking awesome. I really all hope that you guys at home have enjoyed today's interview as much as me. Like I said, it's been a long time coming, but I'm so, so grateful and so happy with the way it's turned out. If you've enjoyed today's episode, all that I ask is you share it. This will cost you absolutely nothing. It's literally the click of a couple of buttons. If you're on Twitter and you follow Mark and me, why not just retweet the episode? It doesn't cost you anything and helps the podcast go a long way. If you're on Facebook, why not just share the update when you see it? Or if you're on Instagram, I've seen a lot more people doing this recently, put it on your stories or even just like it so it shows up on someone else's feed. It goes a really long way and brings a whole new audience to Mark and me. I'm an independent solo podcaster. I'm a one-man team. I don't have a team of people like Empire or Total Film or all these big outlets. So for me to get these people just to retweet or share it, goes such a long way and I can't afford marketing or sponsored posts I want it to be done by word of mouth and that's how I've got to where I am so far I also have a Mark and Me Patreon page this is something you can find on markandme.com if you're new to Patreon it's basically just like giving me a tip each and every month you can go on there and give me as little as £1 a month for that at the moment you're guaranteed at least two episodes each and every week but not only that You'll get an exclusive pin badge just for signing up. You'll get a sticker pack and now you're going to start getting episodes exclusively just for you on Patreon. They won't go out on Spotify. They won't be available on Apple Podcasts. They'll be exclusively just for people that support me on Patreon as a thank you for supporting me. And my amazing friends at Richer Sounds give incredible prizes each and every month to say thank you for supporting me. You can win maybe a Bluetooth dock, an incredible speaker, some Sonos, or even just some incredible headphones. And that's again a way of me saying thank you for supporting Mark and me. So why not jump on markandme.com, sign up, and honestly, it goes a long way. All the money that comes in via Patreon goes right back into the podcast. I don't pay myself for doing this. And what that does, it gives me the chance to host the podcast on stuff like Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, and all those different directories that cost money to host. It also allows me to travel the country to do more and more face-to-face interviews. And I have so many plans over the next few months, so every little bit of support can go a long way. 
I want to say a massive thank you one more time to Winston for coming on the episode. You were amazing and I'm really, really grateful. Also, Emma, I owe you so much for this podcast and you really are part of the success of Mark and Me. So thank you so much. And one day I'll buy you an original Back to the Future hoverboard to say thank you. I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode and I truly believe I'm putting out my best work to date and I can't wait to share with you the next couple of episodes that are coming your way. But in the meantime, take care of yourself, look after each other, listen to Parkway Drive and I'll speak to you all very soon.
this world is plain to see It don't mean we can't believe In something and anyway My baby's coming back now On the next train I can hear the whistle blowing I can hear the mighty roar I can hear the horses prancing In the pastures of the Lord Oh, the train is coming And I'm standing here to see And it's bringing my baby Right back to me Well, there are some things 